all the praise is yours. All the glory is yours. You get all the credit, God. We do not pretend to take claim on any good that has come into our life. We do not pretend to point to ourselves as the source of any goodness in our life, but it is because of your great mercy. As John said, we have received nothing but from what has come from above. Everything is from your hand. And so you get all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all the credit day and night, morning and evening. And so God, we come to you for there is no other God to come to. You are the one, the true and the living God. And you have called us to yourself. We come to you because you have called us and you've put your breath and your song in our heart and in our lungs and lips. And so, Lord, it is fitting for us to be here, fitting for us to praise you, fitting for us to sing to you. It is the only right response in light of who you are and all that you have done. And so, God, it is fitting for us now to hear you and listen to your word. God, would you, by your spirit, continue to be with us and fill us that we may see and learn and love your word, that by the same spirit we may now go and live it. Jesus, help us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is... Good to be here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Chris, uh, Chris Shipley. I'm from Hope Mississauga, Hope Church Mississauga. And your pastor, Ray Kaprowski, and I uh, not only used to work together at the same church, but we used to share the same office. And uh, he is very dear and precious to me. And so it is, it is always a delight for me to be here, uh, to be with your church family and for, uh, for whenever you are able to send your pastor our way, it's always a delight to know that we're family. And there's uh, a few miles down the uh, 401 in distance, but our hearts are very much united. And that what a joy it is to be able to walk together uh, through any valley, along any path that the Lord leads us in. Well, if you could open your Bibles to chapter 2 of Luke, Luke chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, the ushers are eager to hand Bibles out, and if you uh, get a Bible, just raise your hand if you want one, and when you get one, just crack it open uh, to Luke. Luke is just into the New Testament, probably three quarters of the way from the front, and we're going to start right at the very beginning. We thought we're coming up to Christmas, and a whole year of waiting is just about done as Christmas is almost upon us, and so I thought this would be a really good way to start uh, this, uh, this day by looking at Jesus, and really the first few days of Jesus' life. Now, some sport fans have to wait years for their team uh, to win. Uh, some wait uh, years, some wait decades, like Raptors had to, Raptors fans had to. Some wait centuries, uh, like the Chicago Cubs fans. 
And after 108 years of waiting, they literally had, if you were a fan of the Chicago Cubs, you had generations live and die and never see your team win a championship until 2016, until finally the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And so you have people who wait and long for this one thing to happen, the thing that they're most excited about. And yet you don't have to be a sports fan to wait. Uh, We all wait for various things. Uh, There's things that we wait for every day. Uh, Usually, uh, most people wait for the weekend if if you're working all week. But other things that are much deeper than this, people wait for the full-time job that they've always wanted. Uh, People wait for college and university acceptance and getting into that next program. Maybe you're waiting for your permanent residency or citizenship. Maybe you're waiting for your wedding. Maybe you're waiting for children. Or maybe those stages have passed and you're waiting and looking forward to retirement. But we are all waiting for something. And we are all waiting and hoping and believing that it will eventually come. And when it comes, we are always amazed at the timing because it's never when we expect it. And all of our waiting and all of our longing, not just for things on the outside, but also on the inside, We are waiting, we're all waiting, not just for things to happen around us, but inside of us. And so deep down, we're we're waiting for that opportunity to fix what's going on inside. Maybe I'm exhausted, my weariness, my brokenness, the guilt and the shame that you carry around day by day. These things that we're aware of that are on the inside, that are deep down, We're also longing, we're also waiting for that to get fixed. Which means we're actually not just waiting for something to happen, but for someone to come and fix it all, to to fix both what's going on on the outside, but also what's going on in my inside. To forgive us, heal us, to rescue us and come and save us and satisfy us. And if this is your experience, then you can relate a little bit to what the Jews were experiencing in the first century, about 2,000 years ago. They also were waiting. They also were longing for God to fulfill a promise, a promise that he had given to them, not just a few years earlier or even a 100 years earlier, but they had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, God had given a Hebrew man named Abraham 2,000 years before that, so 4,000 years ago from today, approximately, a promise that he would be a blessing to all people, particularly his son, his seed. And then, a few hundred years later, his great-grandson, Judah, was also given a promise that one of his sons, his family, from his family, kings, would come. And then about a thousand years later, a man named David took the throne of Israel and became king over Israel. And then God gave this king, David, an incredible promise that not only would kings come from him, but a king, one in particular that would rule forever, and not just over Israel, but over the whole world. And so these were incredible promises that God had given And so Israel waited, and they waited, 
And they waited, and they waited. And many over this time stopped waiting. They gave up on God. They started to doubt God. They started to rebel against God and look for other options, other better possibilities. And in so doing, they turned away from the promises of God. They had given up that God was going to fulfill that promise to come and send someone, this king, this ruler, who would also be the fixer, the one who would address the issues, not only on the outside, but on the inside. And that's where we find ourselves here in Luke chapter 2, after hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting for this, this one person that God was going to send to fix the main issues that we all long for deepest. And so we find here, even at this time, even in our own day, but it's similar to in Luke 2, people who are waiting and still believing and other people who had kind of given up. And here we see these little pockets of people, as we'll see in our text today, that were still hoping, still waiting, still believing, still trusting that, yes, God doesn't break his promises. Yes, God is true to all of his word. He will come and he will send the one that he has promised. Now, imagine if you were a Jew in this day. If you were a Jew in this day and you were waiting for the Messiah and you just happened to be out in the marketplace that day getting your kosher groceries and you hear this report of a priest who had been in town about a year ago and while he was serving in the temple had this incredible vision of an angel who said that he and his wife who had been barren their entire marriage were now going to have a son who is going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then you hear this other report that a relative of this priest from Nazareth also had a vision and was met by an angel, and the angel told this, this teenage virgin that she was actually going to be the mother of the Messiah. And if that wasn't enough, just a few weeks ago, actually just a week ago, this whole group of shepherds came into town saying that they just heard a whole choir of angels declare to them one night that the Messiah had actually been born just six miles out of town in a town called Bethlehem. And so you would be wondering, can this be? I mean, is this really happening? I mean, after all these years, it just seems so strange. So why now? And of course, as you're in the market you'll also run into those people who are like, yeah, whatever. We, we've heard this before. We've seen other messiahs come and go. Where are they now? And just kind of dismiss it as fake news. This is just rumors. They're, they've hardened their heart because they don't want their hopes to be crushed one more time. But you keep believing. You, you want to follow up on these reports. What happened a week ago? What happened several months ago? What happened over a year ago? What is God doing in our day? And I'm sure Joseph and Mary, as they were on their way up to Jerusalem, they were still in Bethlehem at this time, and so they were on their way up to Jerusalem about a week after Jesus was born. And as they're going through the city on their way to the temple, I'm sure that they would be hearing 
all this rumors and gossip and different things that were going on around them as they were making their way down the streets, up the paths, through the markets, on their way to the temple. And this is where we pick it up here. Chapter 2, verse 21. And we'll read to 40. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, that's Joseph and Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation." That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Father, we pray that you would honor your word and help us now as we look into it. Teach us, change us, we pray. Amen. The first thing that we need to see here is that Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus fulfills the law. This is really important because if Jesus is going to fix our problem, both on the outside, but particularly on the inside, this is going to be an essential piece. We see right from the very beginning, verse 21, it says, 
At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the time came for their purification, verse 22, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. You see this constant refrain over the next several verses, according to the law of the Lord, according to the law of the Lord. Now, the law is the old covenant. It is the law that God gave the nation of Israel back when he brought them up out of Egypt and met them at Sinai and gave them the law of Moses. Moses was the one who wrote it down, listened to God, and then gave it to the nation. It was not the way that Israel was saved by God. God had saved them by grace out of Egypt. This was a way, this law was meant to be given to Israel so that they might respond in love and faith to God through obedience. And so God had given them this law, and Mary and Joseph were simply out of love and trust and obedience to God, obeying this law. And they knew, because in Leviticus 12, verse 3, it says that on the eighth day, a Jewish boy was to be circumcised. And at that day, on that day, when he's circumcised, he is named. And he has named the name that God had given both Mary and to Joseph through Gabriel, and that was the name of Jesus. Jesus. That is the Greek name for the Hebrew, which is Yeshua, which we say in English, Joshua, which is the name of your worship leader as well. It means the Lord saves. That, is, that was the name that God gave his son Jesus, and he was named on the eighth day when he was circumcised. Now, not only do Mary and Joseph know that they needed to obey that rule, but they went back to Bethlehem and they hung around for another couple of months because they knew on the 40th day there was a couple of other things that they needed to do to go back up to the temple. And that was, uh, we read here in verse 22, they went back up because of the purification they went, verse 22, at the time they came for their purification according to the law of Moses. As it says in verse 23, it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. What's going on here? It's referring to two ceremonies or two uh, rites Acts of obedience that God gave the people. The first was a purification ceremony talked about in Leviticus 12. And that was that when, after 40 days had passed, after a son was born, that the mother was to offer a sacrifice either of a lamb and a dove or two pigeons or two turtle doves if you couldn't afford a lamb. And since Mary and Joseph went with the two dove option, we know they didn't have a lot of money. Things were pretty tight financially. Again, we know that this is, this is before the Magi or those, the wise men had come and given gold and frankincense and myrrh. We know that they didn't arrive till months later. And so the, their, Joseph and Mary didn't have any gold in the bank account. They just had whatever was in their pockets that they brought from Nazareth. And so they, they really, we get a picture of the poverty that they experienced and the incredible 
wisdom of God that he would send his own son into a poor family is amazing. And so that was the first uh, step of obedience that they fulfilled, this rite of purification. The second was this dedication ceremony that's spoken of in Exodus 13 and Numbers 18, where God says that the firstborn child that opens the womb was to be dedicated to the Lord and redeemed back by the parents. So the parents dedicate the child to the Lord and then redeem him back, kind of bring him back into their home by giving a substitute, which was a a lamb in its place and five pieces of silver. It was a way of remembering what God did when he brought Israel up out of Egypt, when he passed over his people. God saved all of Israel's firstborn sons, you'll remember, by what they did was they substituted the life of their firstborn son for the life of a lamb. And they would sacrifice, they sacrificed the lamb and took the blood and put it over the doorposts of their homes so that God would pass over their home and not judge them for their sin by taking their firstborn son. Of course, the Egyptians refused that gift of substitution and all the firstborn children of the Egyptians died. But God, in his kindness, passed over Israel. And so one of the ways that they would remember this is that every time you would have a firstborn son, there was this this rite of dedication, the ceremony in which there was an exchange where a lamb was exchanged for their child. So this is what Mary and Joseph were doing on day 40 when they went back out of Bethlehem, back up into Jerusalem that day. They went to the temple and performed these two commands, the purification rite and the dedication rite, along with circumcision. Why? Why? This was because Jesus needed to be perfect. They needed to be perfect. He needed to be perfect. Joseph and Mary were obeying these commands for Jesus so that Jesus could be perfectly fulfilling the law for our sake, for our behalf. Jesus is the true Israel, the true Son of God. But as the Son, he willingly becomes the true Passover lamb and gives his life as that substitutionary sacrifice that God would put forward to pay for our sin and our guilt so that we might, in believing in this lamb and Jesus, might be forgiven and cleansed and rescued. So Jesus, it's critical that he obey all of the Old Testament, even as an infant, even when he can't even move. In God's kindness, through his mom and dad, he is fulfilling the law. Because if he doesn't, then he's not perfect. And if he's not perfect, he's disqualified from being a savior, a perfect savior. Because we need, as a, in our rescuer, not just a human, but a perfect human. Which pretty much disqualifies all of us. But Jesus is perfect. And he had to be in order that he would have no sins for himself to pay for, but now is the perfect person now to be able to take on the sins of others. Jesus, in doing so, in perfectly obeying the law, 
is able now to give us what we could never earn. Not only does Jesus, when he died on the cross, forgive us as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he also credits to us his righteousness or his report card of perfectly obeying and trusting the Father his whole life. You and I both know we have, we have not perfectly trusted and obeyed God our whole life. And yet Jesus did, and what he does on, on the cross is he takes our failed report card with all of its failings and sins and pays its price while giving to us, he doesn't just leave us neutral and naked, but he gives to us his report card that is perfect and 100% A++. That's what Jesus does. And if he isn't fulfilling this law, then he has no report card to give to us. You see, people from the very beginning of time, since Genesis 3, have always been saved by grace through faith in God removing their sin and giving them righteousness. No one has ever earned salvation. No sinner has ever been saved by their own good works. You just can't do it. It's always by grace through faith. We look at Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 6. He says, he believed the Lord, and then God counted it to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith. We see this with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were declared righteous in God's sight by faith. They were the parents of John the Baptist. So to every person is forgiven and declared right in God's sight by grace through faith in Jesus who fulfilled the law for you and me. Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to fulfill God's law? Are you trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's? Are you trying to do it on your own? Or are you turning to this one, this Jesus, who has done it all already and he has done it not for his sake but for ours john 6 29 jesus himself says if you want to work well this is the work of god that you believe in the one whom he has sent that's the thing you need to do if you want to get busy and do something trust him that's what you're supposed to do that is the work of god believe in the one whom he god has sent jesus christ our righteousness Maybe you could care less about God. Maybe you came here this morning and you're really not pursuing God. That's okay because every human being feels guilt. Every human being goes to bed with their conscience. And so you know what it's like for you to roll around in your bed and stay awake at night because your conscience won't let you sleep. It's talking, it's chirping to you because of all the things you've done and all the things you've said. And so you know, you feel that shame. You know there needs to be something fixed inside. I I don't need to convince you of a savior because the conscience in you is constantly telling you there's something wrong, it needs to get fixed. You need to get rescued. You need help. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do. Not just the work on the outside, but the deeper, harder work on the inside. That he might forgive us and cleanse us, but not leave us just all cleaned up with no clothes, but then gives us his own clothes, his perfect record of righteousness, his righteous robes. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills the law, even as a baby. 
Second, we see Jesus as the one who comforts his people. Jesus is the one who comforts his people. In verse 25, we meet uh, another man here who's described as being righteous by faith as well and who is waiting for God's promised Savior. It says in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for what? The consolation, the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says that Simeon was full of the Spirit and that he was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation, the comfort, the relief, the reprieve, the solace that God would give his people. This is something, again, that God had promised long ago. In Isaiah 40, God says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. How does the comfort come? Through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. You can't have comfort and relief that's true and deep unless there is a work on the inside, addressing the guilt and the shame and the stain of sin that I have. And so God knows that. And he knows that there's no way that his people can be comforted, can be consoled unless he deals with the pardoning of sin. Again, in Isaiah 57, it says, God, I, God says, I have seen his ways, that is the sinful ways of Israel, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. This was the very comfort that Simeon was waiting for, believing that God would send it as he prayed. And now by the Holy Spirit, God was moving to confirm this very hour had come. The very hour that Simeon had been waiting for, the very comfort that he had been longing for, had now arrived. In verse 26, it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Amazing. And he came in the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, which we've just talked about, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. God had supernaturally led Simeon that day to the temple. And he led them to this poor young couple from Nazareth with this little baby boy. And he saw the Lord's Christ. God had supernaturally led this, um, this man, Simeon, and he had told him that he wouldn't die. His eyes wouldn't close until his eyes laid hold of Jesus, until they had seen God's comfort come. James Montgomery Boyce said, Simeon was like this uh, sentinel, this watchman placed in Israel to point out the Messiah, the Christ, when he came. And finally, he came. Simeon didn't judge Mary and Joseph, for their outward appearance, because he knew that God doesn't judge on the outside, but he sees the heart. And he takes up this little boy, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. That word salvation, it literally means 
My eyes have seen the one fit to save, the one perfectly suited to save. This one is the one. This one is the perfect one. And Simeon probably spoke even better than he realized because when he held Jesus in his hands, he held God, very God. Become man, fully man, so that as a perfect man, he might be able to carry the sins of mankind. And as fully God, he might fully satisfy the wrath of God. This is the one perfectly suited to save. This is the one whom Jesus is, and this is the one whom Simeon saw and beheld and literally held in his hand. The very comfort of God incarnate finally come. He was no longer needed as a watchman. He said, I can depart now. I can leave my post because I've seen the Messiah, the one who will comfort both Simeon and all of God's people. Jesus comforts his people. But not only that, Simeon, before he leaves, he declares another incredible truth, and that is that we must see Jesus as the light, not only the comfort, but as the light of the world. He continues on in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and it's assumed here, a light for glory to the people of Israel. Jesus is called here a light, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, a light that would reveal the way of salvation, a beacon shining on those who are in darkness, the darkness of their sin and idolatry and worshiping other things other than the one true and living God, living in darkness and blindness and the light of life, the light of God shining on them and calling them up out of that darkness into God's marvelous saving light. This is exactly what Jesus promised in the Old Testament, that this light wouldn't simply be a light to the Gentiles, but also for the people of Israel. It would be for all people. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, It's too light of a thing that you, Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob only and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus himself says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, this light of eternal life. This is why Jesus is called the glory of Israel as well, because he came from Israel. He was Jewish, not only to be a savior to the Jews, but to all peoples, the Gentiles, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is what the, G, this is what the angels announced on the night of Jesus' birth a week earlier when they declared from the sky that they bring good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. This is the truth that has been fueling the mission of the church for the past 2,000 years, known as the Great 
commission, co-mission, on mission with Jesus to spread his name to all peoples of all ethnicities and all cultures and all languages to the ends of the earth that all might hear of the one true and living God and his Savior, Jesus Christ. This was good news to my ancestors who were pagan Celts, who were superstitious, uh, they were involved in witchcraft, uh, human sacrifice. They were, they were living in darkness and in wickedness, hating one another, doing violence toward one another, completely blind in their sin. And the gospel came to them. And some believed the gospel and were changed and transformed and started to teach the gospel to their children. And that has trickled down through the centuries to the point where my mom shared the gospel with me. People from my people group have been saved by grace. Not all of them. I still have unsaved, unsaved family members and distant cousins and aunts and uncles who don't yet know Christ. And yet, in God's kindness, as the gospel is going out around the globe, it has reached many people groups. And out of the 16,000 or so people groups on earth, there are over 10,000 that have had the gospel come to them. But that still yet remains 6,000 people groups in which they have not heard, they have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they have, not, they have not seen the light of the gospel of Christ. They still live in darkness. They've not heard about Jesus. And so this, this calls us to really take on what, what Simeon started in declaring or announcing this is the Messiah. This is the one we've all been waiting for. This is the one that we all have been longing for. The one who can actually fix us from the inside out. The one who can actually deal with our heart issues. This is the one. And sometimes we get this idea that, well, the people who really do that have to get an airplane ticket and cross five time zones, and then you're kind of doing real evangelism or missions work or something. That's not the case at all. All you have to do is a Cross your street, invite your neighbor into your home, go down the hallway in your apartment building or on your dorm and, in, and bring them in around your kitchen table. Put a meal in front of them, share your story, ask them about their story and begin to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ both in word and in action. And in so doing, we all are beginning to participate in this great mission that God has sent us on and spreading the light in a dark world and spreading the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Not only do we see Jesus as a great comfort and light, but he's also the one who exposes our heart. He's the one who exposes the heart. Simeon suddenly turns from Jesus maybe gives him back into the arms of Mary and Joseph, and then he addresses the parents. He says here, in verse 33, Jesus' father and mother, they were marveling at what was being said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, in particular, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed 
or exposed. Mary and Joseph, they were marveling at all of this. They were pretty amazed. It's been a pretty big week for them, and it's been a pretty big month or two for them. Over the last 40 days, they have seen a lot of things happen. And here's another one. Here's this man they've never met before, Simeon, declaring astounding things, verifying, yes, yes, indeed, this is the long-awaited Messiah. And yet, for the first time, they hear that he may not be the Messiah that they initially had in mind. He may not do what they thought he would do in his first coming, what everyone was expecting. In fact, Simeon warns Mary that not everyone will see Jesus in the same way. Not everyone will embrace him as the Messiah. Not everyone will look to him with joy and eyes of faith. Instead, this baby boy will bring, yes, peace and salvation, but also turmoil and strife between people on the outside, but also on the inside. Jesus will cause conflict even in our own souls as we wrestle with who are we going to worship? Who are we going to surrender? Who are we going to give the control of our life to? Am I going to hold on to it, or am I going to give it to this Jesus? And as you look at the life of Jesus, you can understand what happens and what Simeon is describing here is that Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, a man who, for much of his life, at least three decades, lived in absolute obscurity up in Nazareth, a no one, a nobody, in fact, looked down upon as a bastard child, born out of wedlock. And then suddenly he appears and for a brief two or three years has a ministry that no one can explain, baffling the smartest people on the globe in the law of God at that time as he walked in perfect righteousness. No one was expecting this. And Simeon is saying, yes, yes, this is the one, this is the one. But his life isn't going to be what you expect. This time here is going to be full of suffering and turmoil for him and for you, Mary. For Mary... It was a double-edged sword. He said the sword would pierce through her soul because she would experience not only the incredible pain of her hopes being lost in her faith in Jesus as he hung on the cross thinking, I thought he was the one. I thought, I thought Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah is not supposed to die. Spiritually, she's in confusion. She's going to experience incredible pain but that is compounded exponentially as a mom, as she sees her own son die on a cross, and with him, all of her hopes and dreams that parents have for their kids. The, the pain and the confusion, the turmoil that is on the horizon for Mary, Simeon sees. He says, it's gonna be like a sword that pierces through your own soul. And though Mary's situation has its unique elements, in some ways we have experienced similar things. We've experienced all kinds of pain and trials and sorrows to the point of despair, haven't we? Maybe you've experienced even the loss of a loved one and the deep 
aching void it leaves. It, it feels like a sword has pierced your own soul and that you've been left alone in a dark valley without any light. And you begin to wonder, will, will I ever be happy again? Will this pain ever go away? What did I do? Does God even care? Do I give up? Or do I, do I keep believing? Do I keep waiting? Do I keep hoping that God, God will come? Yes. Yes, he will come. He's always faithful to come. God knows our pain. He understands our pain. He cares about our pain. And he will come in our pain. Jesus knows this because throughout his own life, especially on the cross, he experienced what it was like to be abandoned, betrayed, persecuted, mocked, falsely accused, and murdered. He cried out even on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he continued to entrust his soul to a faithful creator while doing good, 1 Peter 4. Knowing that God could be trusted beyond his feelings, beyond his circumstances, even when the fog had set in, he kept trusting. Even God the Father knows the pain of loss, the pain of a sword being pierced through his own heart as he watched his own son be crucified and killed on the cross. God knows our pain, and yet, because Jesus waited in faith, perfectly trusting God in the midst of astounding pain, he, even when he was to the point of being forsaken, he guaranteed God's faithfulness to us, to all those who trust in him, so that we may never be forsaken. Because Jesus kept trusting in the Father, even when heaven was silent to him, that guaranteed that all those who trust in Jesus will never hear silence from heaven, but will always hear the Father's voice in answer to their prayers. The God always hears the voices and the cries of his children. His answers are often not what we expect, but he always answers his children. And that was secured and guaranteed by Jesus on the cross. If Jesus wasn't forsaken for us, if Jesus didn't hear the silence of God, if, he, if, if heaven wasn't mute to him, then we would be the ones who would be forsaken. We would be the one that would have silence from heaven, that God would never speak to us because of our sin. But because Jesus took our sin, that's why he was forsaken. Because Jesus took all of our guilt and shame, that's why heaven was silent. He had to pay the price so that we could be free, so that God's ears would be open to our voice, that God would hear us and never, ever forsake us. Jesus, yes, he will expose our hearts. But for all those who trust in him, the same light that exposes our hearts also draws our hearts close to him. The same light that pierces us also heals us and restores us. The same hand that wounds us also binds us up and carries us and sustains us in the pain until he comes. This was true. 
This is true for us. This was true for the last person we're going to look at. Someone that often gets forgotten, I find, in the Christmas story. And that is uh, this lady we read about in verse 36 onward. It says here that there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. It's a lot of lonely years. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. We read here about a lady named Anna. And this is the last thing that we'll see, that just like Anna, we are called to see Jesus as the one who redeems the waiting. All those who wait, God redeems. Jesus is the one who redeems the waiting. We don't know a lot about Anna, but we do know that she had suffered a lot. It says that she had been a widow for decades. We don't know if uh, she was a widow for 84 years or if she was 84 years old. It's hard to understand that text, but either way, she had lived a long and hard and difficult life. Being a widow in those days was, was not a good economic plan. Often it meant poverty, vulnerability, exposure. And yet here she had just given her life to find shelter in the temple and gave herself to prayer and fasting constantly, morning and evening. She was well acquainted with grief. She knew what it was like to cry herself to sleep most nights. And yet... She kept waiting, hoping, trusting that God would come. And here it says, verse 38, and coming up at that very hour. Isn't that interesting? I mean, sometimes we just kind of think we're just going to work like normal. We're just, I'm just going to the grocery store like I typically do, just filling the car up with gas, just getting on the bus, just like normal, and yet God is doing something providential that he had been planning from before the beginning of time, and one day that just seems like a normal, average, mundane day becomes the most incredible day, and here she just is led by the Spirit up at that very hour, and she overhears Simeon's declaration Here he is. This is the one. This is the one we've all been waiting for. And she began to give thanks to God and speak of him, that's Jesus, to all, all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Year after year, decade after decade, she had been waiting, and finally she hears Simeon declare this, and she rejoices. She rejoices in Mary's boy as the long-awaited Messiah. It's interesting, in Isaiah 52, verse 8 and 10, it says that there is going to be a prophecy that is fulfilled with Simeon and Anna. It says, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted. His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm. That means he flexed. 
before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God fulfilled this very prophecy this day. The watchmen of Simeon and Anna break forth into song and announce to everyone who was in the temple, this is the one, this is him, he finally came. This is the one who will comfort his people, who will redeem his people, who will bring salvation to his people. No matter how long you have waited, no, long, no matter how deep the valleys have been or how long the path has been that you have walked, Jesus has come. He came for Anna. He came for Simeon. He's come for you. This law-fulfilling, heart-exposing, comfort and light-giving Savior, Jesus Christ. He came the first time, died and rose again and ascended into heaven and partners with us by his spirit in spreading his name to the ends of the earth so that all might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm coming again. I'm coming a second time, a second advent. And when he comes, then he'll come as a victorious king who calls all people who have trusted in him to enter into his kingdom and welcome them. But all those who have rejected him, he will judge and cast out into the lake of fire. So this is not something that we can be neutral about. It's not just a, we can't be like those people that were perhaps in the marketplace or in Jerusalem as Mary and Joseph were making their way up into the temple that day who were just dismissing these reports. I've heard it before. You can't harden your heart to this message. You have to make a decision. Is Jesus the one? Are you waiting for him? Are you trusting and longing for his return? Are you ready for when he returns? Are you like Anna, faithfully waiting to see the face of Jesus? Are you like Simeon, faithfully announcing the light has come to the whole world? Or have you given up hope? If you've given up hope, hear the angels sing again. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, see Jesus today. See Jesus as your Savior, as your light, as your comfort, as the one who fulfills the law for you so that when he exposes your heart with the light, is able to wash you and cleanse you and forgive you of all your sins and give you the light of his righteousness and welcome you into heaven with him forever. See Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for sending your son. We were dark in our sins, blinded in the darkness, ignorant of what we were doing, but then your light, like a shaft, pierced into our life. There may be some here this morning, this is the first time that they've ever heard the gospel. There may be others, Lord, this is, this is something they've heard before but have never really taken seriously. Lord, there are others here who have trusted in you. And you, oh God, in the, mystery, in the mystery, 
and the mystery of your plan have brought them into a valley, and it's been a very hard and painful season. God, would you restore our hope in you? God, comfort us. Fill us with your spirit. Cause us to trust in you, to find in you all of our hope. You always keep your promises. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are able to save to the uttermost. There is no one who has gone too far. There is no one who has walked away to such a great distance that you cannot reach them. God, no space or time is of any problem to you. You can save to the uttermost. God, help us to see your son. See him as light. See him as necessary and comforting. Oh God, would all hope and trust be in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.